this weekend, theatergoers across the nation will experience one of, if not the biggest movie event of the year. Shot completely on IMAX, it's the long-awaited sequel of an award-winning film based on a novel that has redefined science fiction. Most importantly, it is a cautionary tale of charismatic heroes, religious zealotry, and sociopolitical power that shapes the fate of an entire world. I'm talking, of course, about Dune. For this episode, we're spicing things up as we break down this iconic series, navigate its adaptations, observe its underlying themes, and why the recent films are shipping up to be one of the biggest cinematic trilogies of all time, The Sleeper Awakens, as we ride into a brand new episode of That One Somali Nerd. show everyone i'm your host faisa Badise here and you're listening to that one somali nerd a podcast on all things geek and then some each week i'll review a show movie game or comic series that has made big waves in today's geek culture i'll also throw in a fair share of nostalgia with some fun surprises along the way so get ready to hear it all from me and a whole lot more right here on that one somali nerd now, before we start, make sure you check out my link tree in the notes. You can find my website at phaedros.com, along with my socials on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, all in one place. I also have a Patreon, to patrons gain access to behind-the-scenes info, new episodes a day early, an invite to the official Discord server, and more. For details and inquiries, email me at fazza.buddysay at gmail.com. Thanks for the support, and let's get to the show. Okay, folks, let's get real for a bit. Dune is nothing short of a literary classic. Written by Frank Herbert, the novel has acted as a solid blueprint for modern science fiction, a strong contrast between the space-faring heroes and steel-clad tech of yesteryear. The series has seen a lot of media try to emulate its style, barring its desert-like setting, fat overlords, and giant worms that roam the planet. And if any of this sounds familiar, Dune served as one of the core inspirations for George Lucas in creating Star Wars, just so we're clear. But this book? Nay. This entire series alone is a step above its predecessors, contemporaries, and successors in all aspects of its narrative. It is ambitious, taking the all-too-familiar hero's journey in an unexpected direction. This is also a book that is super hard to adapt. Yes, it is no surprise that Dune, while praised for its iconic story, is one of the hardest works to get right. The character drama, lore, and universe adds to its immense scope, even beyond the first volume. A lot unfolds in a novel that I had to pause to absorb its context from the smallest musings to the biggest twist. On the surface, it's easy to mistake Dune as a heroic tale of a young man rising to free a planet, all while confronting the weight of his chosen path. The story has seen adaptations try to play with the idea while attempting to tackle Herbert's grand vision, but to mixed results. For one, there's the Alejandro Jodorowsky take from the 1970s. However, it failed because of creative restrictions, extensive runtime, production changes, and several factors that resulted in its demise. If you're curious to learn more, there's this excellent documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune that you can check out. It does a great job detailing the film's development and highlighting the crew that worked behind the scenes. Even if the project didn't take off per se, the material would become a foundation for many sci-fi films released along with the crew members that worked on them. The experience alone became the basis for Jodorowsky's work on the end call alongside one of the film's character designers, who is none other than the legendary French comic artist Mobius. 1984 saw David Lynch's take on a sci-fi classic which tried to compile the first book within its relatively short runtime. The outcome sees a lot of material skimmed, trimmed, and utterly watered down in tone. The film attempts to describe the world of Dune, but gets bogged down by its own scope of storytelling that it gets reduced to voiceover info dumps. Even with a solid cast and change in story, it failed big time at the box office and led to Lynch disowning the film in later years. But hey, at least he brought Kyle MacLachlan over for Twin Peaks, so maybe all isn't truly lost. And then there's the 2000 sci-fi miniseries, which we do not talk about. 
ever. Flash forward to say 2019 when a new adaptation of Dune gets announced for the big screen. Of course the news is enough for some to get apprehensive or excited about the latest undertaking of Herbert's classic. Over time, articles rolled out with Denis Villeneuve as director, Greg Fraser as cinematographer, Hans Zimmer on the music, and a stacked cast for the ages. I mean, it doesn't get any better than Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, folks. Naturally, the announcement got people talking, getting enough buzz on social media that even I was invested. Now, keep in mind, I was in college at the time they broke the news, and seeing the crew and roster compelled me into checking out the first novel at the library. Even if I was mildly skeptical, I had to read the story for myself before knowing what I'd be signing up for. What I didn't expect was a masterpiece in the making. Now the first film covers roughly the first half of the novel. Just to set the scene, the film is set thousands of years into the future, where humanity has achieved light speed travel yet outlawed the use of thinking machines in the aftermath of a crusade against advanced technology. Following the events, an Imperium is formed, composed of several houses ruled by an emperor that were in charge of different planets. Among the planets is Arrakis, a desert world that houses the Spice Melange, a drug not only crucial for interstellar travel, but grants the user longevity and prescience. Promising as it is, mining the substance has proven difficult with production being marred by the hostile climate, ravaging sandworms, and the Fremen that call it home. Nevertheless, House Harkonnen seizes their chance to get the spice before the Emperor decides to send in House Atreides, unaware of what the Emperor truly plans for them. It is within this transition of power that we're introduced to Paul Atreides, the son of Duke Leto and Lady Jessica. Residing in the water planet of Caladan, he spends his days under the tutelage of Leto's men, training to become next in line for succession. However, his fate is tied with his mother, Lady Jessica, who is not only a concubine of Duke Leto, but an acolyte of the Bene Gesserit. They're this matriarchal order that manipulate political affairs and operate a secret breeding program that seeks to produce the Kwisatz Haderach, a being positioned as this messianic figure of the universe. Add that to the frequent visions he's been having, and yeah, that's definitely gonna foreshadow a lot of things. As the shift has the Atreides depart for Arrakis, several events begin to unfold following their descent. It is in Arrakis that Paul faces alliances, betrayals, conflicts, and sacrifices that would shape him into the prophesized figure destined to unite the Fremen and liberate the planet, all while reckoning with the terrible purpose it entails. I love how a lot went into this film and it shows. It shouldn't be a surprise that director Denis Villeneuve is a massive Dune fan, having read Herbert's work and sketched storyboards based on a novel in his youth. Having helmed two amazing sci-fi films from the past decade, Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, he feels right at home in bringing Herbert's world to life. I love it when directors acknowledge the source material and let that influence resonate on screen. Having read Dune myself, I was amazed how much Villeneuve achieved in staying faithful, nailing the characterization, drama, and universe on the spot. From Jessica resetting the litany against fear to Paul's visions of the future, it's like I'm witnessing pages of the book just how I've imagined them in my head. Rewatching the movie, I can tell how hard it must have been to film those desert scenes, but it contributes so much into what makes this film authentic. It's how these characters learn to adjust to their harsh world, utilizing resources and techniques that help them survive in the long run. The set design and effects deserve a shout out because even with the sparse amount of CGI, Dune Part 1 lets the setting stand and how the cats respond in these environments, adding a neat touch of immersion that pulls both actor and viewer. From the blocky ships of House Atreides to the bulbous structures of Gidi Prime, it does well to reflect the composition in terms of style. Speaking of style, the film does not miss in the fashion department because those outfits look amazing. The Atreides soldiers, the Saudakar armor, Lady Jessica's gown, the still suits, every single piece contributes to the futuristic yet otherworldly tone of the film. What struck me the most, however, was how they handled the ornithopter designs, and I gotta say, they are good. 
In going through the novel, I've always pictured them as being avian-like in design due to the ornitho part referencing a bird. The way the film relies on a dragonfly-like build for the aircraft is top-notch, one of the few departures from the novels that work alongside several others, which I'll try so hard not to spoil in this episode. Even with some artistic liberties taking in Villeneuve's behalf, I gotta commend the director for building on so much of Herbert's foundation. Heck, I'd go far to say that this film is part of a masterclass of successful book-to-movie adaptations, almost neck and neck with Peter Jackson's work on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I'll reference on the show. Nevertheless, with the first film being a massive award-winning hit with audiences and critics alike, it's safe to say that a Dune trilogy is more than welcome since it aligns with Villeneuve's long-term goal for the series. And that idea works, especially once we get to dissecting the book's core themes and what people get wrong about it in terms of context. identifier of what makes Dune stand out, it's that it's not a heroic story. Rather, it is a deconstruction of the monomyth, otherwise known as the hero's journey. It is a classic narrative device that sees the protagonist leave their home, confront a dangerous situation, succeed in tackling this endeavor, and returning home in the end. Rereading the book, it's easy how a lot of what Paul goes through in a novel aligns with this apotheosis. Going off on how the book actually ends, however, that last part never happens. At all. The story isn't really about Paul being a hero and allying with the Fremen and joining their cause to free their homeworld. He's more of an anti-hero in regards to his internal conflicts, committing acts that are seen as good, but for the wrong reasons. He does this to avoid his terrible purpose, leading a holy war that not only dethrones an empire and reclaims a planet, but to reckon with the aftermath. From his birth, the Bene Gesserit have been at work to position him as the Kwisatz Haderach, even if their original plans for a daughter got derailed once Lady Jessica had him. So much faith is garnered and placed on his shoulders by the Fremen that by the time we get to the very end, it's escalated to the point of religious fanaticism. Herbert's story acts as a warning against leadership, particularly from charismatic leaders that rely on personality rather than ideology. They don't leave room for questions, even when it comes to taking accountability for certain actions. Some play on temptation, asserting control through indulgence that results in a loss of morality. Others assert their presence in a more religious stance, relying on beliefs and traditions and ascending to power, even as they get constrained by them. That last part hits home for Paul Atreides, since he works to earn the trust of the Fremen in being accepted as one of their own. As Muad'Dib, he plays on their hopes in becoming the prophesied leader they envisioned, the same role the Bene Gesserit had a hand in laying a path towards achieving this feat. This all adds up to the main story, where even as Paul does end up becoming the Kwisatz Haderach, powers and all, he can't escape his terrible purpose. I guess what I'm saying, folks, is that in this story, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain, or worse. But that's all you get from me. However, it is because of this anti-heroic take that Dune succeeds as a story. This book is to science fiction like what Lord of the Rings is to fantasy. Even sci-fi novelist Arthur C. Clarke called it the closest thing to the fantasy work, and coming from one of the big three in sci-fi, it's quite obvious. They're both quintessential examples of their genre. Ambitious tales that would go on to achieve big success, inspire countless other works, and receive stellar trilogies, from Warner Brothers no less. Despite both authors' relatively different stances on religious matters, I feel that they excel in telling a different side to heroism, whether through a traditional or unorthodox manner. Still, I consider both works as literary masterpieces in their own right that should be revisited. And of course, it's a good time to take a break, so when we get back, we'll discuss my hot takes on part one and what I'm looking forward to once part two drops. That and I haven't watched the second film yet, even with the interviews, red carpet premieres, promotional rollouts, fan first screenings. Oh, in that bucket. Stay tuned.
Once again, you are tuned into That One Somali Nerd, hosted by me, Faiza Barise, where I was just talking all about Dune from its several film attempts to the recent adaptation. Speaking of recent adaptation, I think now's a good time to give my hot take. segment of the podcast, I'll be giving out my hot takes on today's topic of discussion. This sees me either confront the work for what it is, or defend it by addressing its many strengths and why it stands out. But of course, this is just me giving my opinions, so, uh, take it or leave it. Now, in regards to Dune and acknowledging the latest take on a franchise, I will defend the work on all fronts. Once again, I commend Denis Villeneuve's choice in undertaking the project, building on a signature directional style while retaining core elements of the classic novel. I need to just say this right now, but whoever was in charge of casting deserves a toast because that lineup is impeccable. Timothy Chalamet knocks it out of the park playing Paul alongside Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica and Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto. Seeing how I love the actor in Ex Machina, seeing him play another bearded guy in a sci-fi film is fun. Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck is amazing, even have yet to see him play the Balasset. Crossing my fingers that it happens in part two. Seeing Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho is awesome, but I can't believe that I'm just noticing how his beard gets trimmed back over the course of the movie. Go rewatch it if you don't believe me. As for the villains, props to Stellan Skarsgård playing Baron Harkonnen, bringing a cool yet sadistic edge towards the antagonist like we've never seen him before. Dave Bautista as his ruthless nephew Robon is show-stopping alongside David Destelmachian as the twisted mentat Peter. On the Fremen side, Zendaya as Chani bears mentioning that even with her sparse appearances on screen, they set the stage once the sequel rolls in. Javier Bardem as Silgar is incredible, his very first scene bringing a much-needed chuckle to the otherwise dramatic narrative. Also gotta give love to Sharon Duncan Brewster as Leah Kynes, Chang Chen as Dr. Yue, Charlotte Rampling as Reverend Mother Mohayim, Seven McKinley Henderson as Tufir Hawat, and the rest of the cast for a job well done. The screenwriting is a cut above the rest, due in part to John Spates and Mary Parent sharing writing duties with Villeneuve. The cinematography also deserves a highlight, courtesy of Greg Fraser behind the camera. He does a spectacular job capturing many iconic shots from the distinctive settings of each planet to close-ups on character reaction. Of course, what is a film without its music, and boy does Dune Part 1 deliver. Hans Zimmer does not miss when it comes to composing movies, and the fact that he ditched Christopher Nolan's tenant to work on Dune is mind-boggling. And dare I say, the soundtrack slaps. The fact Zimmer actually constructed some of the instruments used in recording adds more to the orchestral and layered sound of the movie, right down to the haunting choral refrain. Can we also talk about how this man got away with including bagpipes of all instruments to the score? Gotta say, a legendary move on his part and getting that second Oscar, no doubt. award season wrapping up with the Oscars next month, I've never been more excited for next year's race, especially with part two entering the arena. Judging from the early reviews post-embargo, critics and moviegoers alike have hailed it as a monumental follow-up and ranked it among the best sequels of all time. Along with the additional 10 minutes of runtime, there's going to be a lot to look forward to once part two comes out this Friday. The weeks leading up to the premiere have been exhilarating to watch between the red carpet looks, interview sessions, press materials, surprise cast editions, and popcorn buckets that have built on the hype. Yes, folks, I have to mention a popcorn bucket that's been making the rounds on social media since it's just that crazy. And I'm going to say right now, who in AMC had the audacity to will this into existence? We may never know. Heck, SNL did a whole song all about it, so if you're curious, uh, give it a watch.
All in all, there's been a lot of buzz building up over the film that contributes to its staying power in the pop culture conversation. Despite a delay due to last year's strikes and a push to release date, I feel that the decision works best when it comes to Warner Brothers marketing strategies. Keep in mind they've already had a big year with Barbie, since it's the highest grossing film of 2023. By pushing Dune to March of 2024, not only would they give enough room for Barbie to finish their victory lap, it'll position the sci-fi film to take a head start leading to next year's big race. Pretty smooth tactic on Warner Brothers' part. Pretty smooth. With a sequel arriving two days from now as a recording, there's never been a better time to check out the franchise. You can read the novels, rewatch part one, check out the Art and Soul of Dune books, listen to the soundtrack, add the Dune Awakening game on their Steam wishlist, and more. There's also a new book called Dune Exposures, a follow-up to Art and Soul's companion piece that combines behind-the-scenes photos from Greg Fraser, accompanied by none other than the poetic stylings of Josh Brolin. Never saw that coming, but hey, if life doesn't imitate art, give it a go. a modern classic for the ages. It has been described as a benchmark for Silver Age science fiction, ditching convention and presenting a cautionary take on a hero's journey. It is ambitious as it is challenging, with several adaptations struggling to adapt the work until now. However, thanks to Villeneuve's familiarity and reverence for the source material, he achieves a rare feat in translating the lore-heavy work into the big screen. Backed by a stellar cast, sweeping cinematography, high-stakes drama, and a powerful score, it is a movie that is harrowing in tone yet grounded in reality. The story, themes, and worldbuilding all contribute to the immense scope of the series, with several works from Star Wars to Game of Thrones taking notes. With part two well on the way, I can affirm that the sequel is shaping up to be the biggest cinematic event of the year and reaffirming its stance on pop culture and living up to Herbert's creative legacy. And that's the end of this week's episode. As always, you can check out my link tree in the notes along with my website at fadedraws.com and socials on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram all in one place. I also have a Patreon and patrons gain access to behind-the-scenes info, new episodes a day early, an invite to the official Discord server, and more. For details and inquiries, email me at fuzzy.bodice at gmail.com. Once again, this is Fuzzy Say signing off for that one's minor this week. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Geek on!